0: This is a truth that the devil doesn't want you to know. It's a truth the devil doesn't want you to know. God loves you. Sometimes we feel if we are good enough, then God will really love me. But the truth is, God loved you even when you weren't good enough. And I don't know what you think good enough is, but your good enough ain't good enough. (laughs) Amen. <laughs> it is true, though, that when we are walking in the light of God's Word and we are obedient children to His commands, that we sense and feel the acceptance of God and which causes a joy and causes strength to, uh, in our hearts and lives like none other. And sometimes when we say, if we're When I feel that, then I'm good enough because we feel God's acceptance. It's like a parent accepting the work of a child when the child does a good job cleaning the room and the parent says, good job, and there's that acceptance that comes in. Oh, I did a good job. They're proud of me. The same is true spiritually, that when we walk in obedience, we feel the acceptance of God. And and so therefore, the joy of the Lord floods our heart and we, we freely run into his arms and we feel accepted. But when we have not been the greatest, that's when we can doubt that God loves us. But honestly and truthfully, God loved you before you were great or anything at all. Before you ever amounted to anything, God loved, you. God loved you. God loves you without conditions. He doesn't love you if you're good. He doesn't love you when you're good. God just simply loves you. He loved you before you were lovable. Amen. I heard this story uh, from Jim Simbola when he was ministering at a church. And, and it touched my heart. He said it was an Easter Sunday. And he had just finished ministering throughout the day. He was tired. He had several services. And he sat down at the end of the um, uh, pulpit area on the stage. He was sitting there while the altar workers were praying people through and uh, ministering there in the altars. And there was a man about three rows back who locked eyes with him. And Jim Simula said, I could tell that he had questions for me. He said, as soon as we locked eyes, the man got up and he started walking towards Jim. And Jim said in his heart, and in his mind, oh, here we go again. To this day, he repents of saying such a thing. But the man was walking down and his clothing was uh, shuffled and his countenance was down. He had the eyes of a, a man who just... Finished drinking, he, he smelled something horrible. Jim said that when he was standing in front of him that he would turn his head to take a breath because the stench was so foul that it was hard to look at him continuously and speak with him because of the smell. So he thought in his heart, I know what he wants. He wants money. So Jim digs back in his back pocket, and he pulls out his little clip, and he knows if I just give him some money, I'll get him away. He'll leave, and it'll be done, and it'll be over with, and and I can move on, and and the smell will be gone. And so he pulled out the money clip to give the uh, the man some money, and the man's name was, was David, and David said to Jim, Jim, I don't want your money. I want this Jesus you were talking about. And I'm coming to talk to you about this Jesus. I want him. Jim was heartbroken because he realized how he had failed to see what God was doing. He said, I was, he, it, it tore him up. He said, at that moment, that man began to weep when he said, I'm looking for this Jesus that you're talking about. And Jim realized at that moment that this was one of the greatest moments of his ministry. And Jim said he grabbed his arms around that man, and the moment he embraced him, the Spirit of God spoke to him and said, Jim, if you can't handle the smell of that man, you can't work for me. Because these, this is why I sent you here, is because I love that man. David started working in the church. He had his teeth were all gone, and out of uh, from drug abuse, he had lost his teeth. That they, they helped him get his teeth back, and he worked inside the church. He came over Jim's house for Thanksgiving, came over for Christmas, and God has done such a work in David's life, this man in his church, that David is now an associate pastor in New Jersey, and remarried to his wife. All because God loves David. Can I tell you that it's the most wonderful thing to know that God loves you? That's what God is. God is love. Now could you imagine for a moment where we would be if we did not have the word of God? Could you imagine what it would be like to not know that God is love and that he loves you? To be wandering through this world not understanding that Jesus came to, and died for you and Jesus arose for you and he makes intercession for you. To not understand these things, it would be detrimental to not know them. But the sad thing is, is that many people today don't know the simplest truth of the gospel. And that is that God loves Humanity. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is love, my dear friend. His love for you and I is the most amazing thing. It should revolutionize your life. It should change who you are because of His love. It was Ray Comfort that told the story in his book, Hell's Best Kept Secret. He spoke of a woman who was walking along the shore of a river. And his her, she was pregnant, well into her pregnancy, expecting to deliver soon. And her child was walking near the river, but the child slipped and fell into the river. And the mother was deathly afraid of water. She could not swim. So she screamed for help to somebody help her to rescue her child. By the time the rescue came, the child had been in the river so long that the child drowned. But the tragic part of the story is not that the child drowned, but that the mother didn't realize that she could have rescued the child because he was only in waist-deep water. And she could have gone in to rescue him. She just didn't know it. I tell you that story because many people are drowning in this life without the knowledge of God's love. They just don't know it. They don't understand how a God could love them or why God would love them. Or is it possible that God could love me? Doesn't he know what I've done? Doesn't he know where I've come from? How bad I've been and what I continue to do? Doesn't he know that I have this proclivity to continue to sin in this same area of my life? Doesn't God see the true me? And I want to tell you that God sees the true you. He knows the very details of your life. He knows the sins that you are prone to fall into. And He knows who you are. For He's the one who created you, fashioned you, informed you. He's been watching you, walking beside you, seeing you every day of your life. He knew you before anybody else knew you. And the God, this God, still loves you. That's powerful, powerful to think about. The scriptures fill our minds with an understanding that God loves us. John three sixteen or, or or Romans five eight. God shows His love to us even while we were still sinners. Or here's one for you. Ephesians two four and five. I put this on the screen for you. Ephesians two four and five. But God is so rich in mercy. Aren't you glad He is? He is rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us a life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. What a wonderful thought. God loves me. He loves me even when I'm not good or when I fail or when my heart is running wild, or when my mind is chaotic, or, or when life has created such a storm that I've been at the brink of quitting everything, or, or when everything seems to be so difficult, God's love for me doesn't change. It doesn't change. He still loves me. There was a man who came to D.L. Moody's church he told the story of how he came in. He staggered in. He was inebriated and 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 his he, he, he just living in a life of sin. And he sat down in the back of the church and he noticed that behind the pulpit, way up high above the pulpit of D. L. Moody, the words, God is love, was there. The man was so upset about reading those words that he got up and he began to mumble under his breath. God is love. If God loves me, then. Why would these things be happening to me? And how come, if he loved me, why would I be in the situation that I'm in? Why wouldn't he change this? If he loves me, he would change these things. And, And he was literally getting ready to walk outside the church and leave because he was so offended by the words, God is love. But when he got outside the door, the Holy Spirit arrested him. And he stopped. And for some reason, he said, I'll at least go in and see. He turned back around, staggered back to his seat. He sat there, and through the whole sermon, D.L. Moody thought he was paying, all, paying attention to the whole sermon, but he wept through the whole sermon while D.L. Moody was preaching, and he would look straight ahead at D.L. Moody, and at the end of the service, the man sitting in the back, weeping and crying on the back seat, D.L. Moody walks up to him and says, Sir, what part of the message moved you? And he said, Sir, I apologize. I didn't hear a word you said. All I could do was read those words behind your pulpit. God is love. And for the first time, I'm starting to feel it. And from that moment, he gave his heart and life to Christ. All because he came to understand one simple truth. God loves me and he knows who I am. Hallelujah. You see, God knew how bad you were. And how lost you were. But it didn't stop him from loving you. I tell you all of that because the Bible gives us a story of a woman who should have been rejected by any religious person. But yet Jesus did not reject her. It is absolutely beautiful and wonderful that when Jesus, the one man who could have condemned her, he said, I do not give any condemnation to you. I am not here to condemn you, but I don't want you to sin anymore. And he tells her not to sin anymore, but he doesn't condemn her. Why? Because he loves her. He came for her. And that's the important truth, that Jesus came to this earth and he saw me and you. He saw you in a church in Kingman, Arizona, uh, August 19th, 2020, you probably got suckered to come here. Someone told you, Come listen to this guy preach, and he's a weirdo, but you'll like him. Come listen to him preach, and they got you in the house of God, and you're here this morning. What you don't know is that behind the scenes, all of heaven has been orchestrating a divine meeting with God. And you don't even see it sometimes that God is trying to express to you in so real of terms that He is in love with you. That He loves you so much that He gave everything He had just to be with you. And this woman caught in the act of adultery caught in the very act of adultery, and all the religious people brought him. And think about this, what are they trying to do with Jesus? They learned something about Jesus. They learned that he was compassionate towards those who were hurting and those who were in sin. And they were trying to trap Jesus. They were trying to trap him because the law of God demanded the death of any person committing such an act. And let me tell you, the Bible is very clear about this. All the wages of sin is death. And the only way to get out of the death that's coming, my dear friend, is to give your heart and life to Jesus. That's the only way to get out of it. And Jesus is the only escape that you have to escape the punishment that is coming due to sin. And this woman, the the law of God, demanded her life. And the religious rulers knew that Jesus would not want to kill her. They knew he would want to be compassionate. And so they were trying to trap him. And oh, how clever Jesus is and how beautiful it is that when Jesus says, "You that don't have sin in your life, probably some of those men had slept with that woman till they caught her in the act. He said "To you that have no sin, you cast the first stone." How convicting were those words? How powerful were they when they came out of his mouth and all of a sudden he's this angry mob with stones in hand ready to kill this woman waiting for the word from Jesus, go ahead, stone her, she deserves it, give it to her. But no, Jesus said, "If you, the one that don't have sin, you cast it first. The weight of those words was so powerful that the guilt in their hearts, stones began to drop and they began to walk away. And the one person who has the right to condemn her, the sinless son of God, who has the right to bring condemnation, chooses to not bring condemnation, but to bring love and forgiveness. I want you to catch that. I want you to catch it because sometimes you're, you're going to feel, if you don't feel it now, somewhere along the walk of life and Christian life, you're going to feel like you don't deserve to be with God but you never have. I said, but you never have. And that's not why you're in. You're not in because you deserved it. You're in because God loves you. (laughs) That's the powerful truth of the gospel. You're in because he loves you. You have access to God because of grace. Now, I want to talk to you about something that I see in all in these in these verses. I have three very simple points and and we're going to go through them pretty quickly. But the first one I want to bring out is this that grace is greater than your secret. Grace is greater than your secrets. Oh Christian, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's the un it's the thing we don't talk about. We don't tell nobody. But it's our secret. It's what we do when no one's looking, right? It's what we say when no one's looking. It's how we act when no one's looking. It's it's, it's what we partake in when no one's looking. But we come to church and we go on with the charade of something and we feel guilty while we're in church because on Monday we struggle and on Tuesday we struggle and on Wednesday we struggle and on Thursday we struggle and on Friday we struggle and on Saturday we struggle and we come to church and we act like we never, ever had a struggle all week long. And we praise Him like there's never been a struggle. And we shout like there's never been a struggle. But the truth is, is that there's a lot of things in all of our lives that if we were to stand up and tell everybody what we've been through, what we've gone through, and what we're facing right now, it would be a total embarrassment to you. If I told you every, every struggle I've had as a Christian, you wouldn't want me to be your pastor. You'd question it. And I could tell you right now that if you told me everything in your life, I'd question if I'd want you in the congregation. Because the truth is, every single one of us in this building has a secret part of ourselves that we don't tell nobody. It's our secret. But can I tell you right now, God sees your secrets. He sees them. And when you think you're alone, God is there. And nothing escapes his eye. When I was a young child, there was Sister McMahon used to sing this song. You remember Sister McMahon, Aunt Terry, Uncle Leather used to preach in Bloomington all the time? And Sister McMahon used to sing the song, My Heart is Like a House. You remember that Aunt Terry, that old song? One day I let the Savior in. There were many rooms that we would visit now and then. But then one day, he saw the door. And I knew the day had come too soon. But Jesus said, I want to visit with you in that room. See, there's a place in my heart where even I wouldn't go. I had some things in there. I didn't want no one to know, but I handed him the key with tears of love on his face. He said, I want to make you clean. Let me go in your secret place. What a powerful song. I loved it when she sang it because in my heart, I pictured a house. And I thought, yeah, I had some stuff hidden up in there that only Jesus could take care of. And I want you to know that in your heart, God knows the secret places of your heart and the darkness that may try to fill it and the temptations that may try to steal you and the struggles of your own flesh and the struggles of your mind. He sees it. He knows it. And there's no reason to hide it from Him but to cry out and say, God, come into the secret place of my heart and clean me from inside out. Clean me, God. God sees that, and the grace of God is greater than your secrets. This woman was living in adultery, and it was a secret. Men would come and sleep with her. She was a prostitute. She gave her body to whomever paid the highest dollar for it. And she would sell her body on the market so that she could survive. And every time she did it, her moral compass dropped. And it kept dropping. And it kept dropping. She had no integrity. She was a woman of ill repute. And they should not have fellowshiped with her. But man after man after man after man after man after man after man until one. One day, she's sitting in front of the Savior, and she's about to receive the punishment for her secrets. And God illuminates the secret, but he deals with the sin, and he doesn't judge the person. Think about that. Think about that. He deals with the sin. Go and sin no more. But I'm not throwing a stone at you either. And oh, come on now. We all got stones. Some of you carry them all the time. I can't wait to throw that one. Just give me an opportunity. I saw what they were doing. I know what they do. I know. And I got a stone right here. And the moment I get a chance, I'm going to plop them with it. And they're going to feel it. Tell me, is that the mind of Christ? To bring condemnation where God's love has, is bringing forgiveness. Because your secret is not more powerful than God's grace. I'm going to say that again. Your secret is not more powerful than God's grace. It isn't. God's grace is sufficient. I'm going to say that again. God's grace is sufficient. He will meet the need in your life. Because where you are weak, He is strong. Where you cannot, He does. God makes a way. His grace is sufficient for you. Grace is greater than your secret. And grace is greater than the traps of the enemy. They tried to use the compassion of Christ as a way to entrap him. But Jesus wouldn't be trapped. I heard this beautiful story by Ravi Zacharias. He tells an amazing story of a young Christian in Vietnam. His name was Hin Pam. He worked with Ravi for about a few weeks in ministry and missions work, he was a devout Christian. But after Ravi Zacharias left, he was captured and in prison because he was a Christian. And their goal while he was in prison was to try to indoctrinate him and to get him to leave his Christian faith. And they were doing a good job of it. He got to a point where he was so weary that he was at the brink of quitting. Like, I'm done. I'm finished. This is too much. I'm just dealing with too much. I can't take anymore. And if I go ahead and, and, I, and I just denounce everything, they'll let me out of prison. I can go home and I can just get back to living. He knew that. And so every day was a temptation to quit. It wasn't until one day when he was struggling, why would God let this happen to me? Anybody ever say that? Why would this why would God allow this? I don't understand why the God who loves me would let this happen to me. He was struggling really bad. And then that night, just to make things worse, he had to clean the toilet cans in the prison. Now I don't need to make the paint the picture real bad, but let me just make it clear. It's a can full of human feces and, and urine. And it's just a can. It's not a toilet where they flush it. It's a can. And he had to take the cans, clean them, dump them, and clean them out by hand and put them back. And that was his job that night. While he was cleaning the cans, he noticed in the feces a piece of paper poking out. And it wasn't like toilet paper or a leaf that was normally used. He pulled it out and he cleaned it off and it was Romans chapter 8. And the same man who was struggling, does God love me? Does, why would he let this happen to me? He took that scripture, he hid it, and he went back to his room. And while he was in his room, he read it while everybody was sleeping. And he got to the passage in Romans chapter 8 where it said, All things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. And then he read a little further. He got to the end of chapter 8. And it said, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, shall persecution, shall trial, shall death. No, I am persuaded that nothing, neither height nor death, shall be able to separate you from the love of God. He read that and in his heart he realized that God's love was still there while he was in that prison. The next day he went over to the prison guards. He said, can I please clean the toilet cans? And he cleaned the toilet cans because one of the soldiers was wiping his rear with the Bible. And that's how he read the Bible every night. I want to tell you that's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. That's real faith, my dear friends. I said, that's real, fra- real faith. God's grace is greater than the traps of the enemy. You may may think it's a horrible thing to clean the toilet cans, but while he's cleaning the toilet cans, his faith is increasing. Are you following me? While some people clean the church, their faith is increasing. While some people work on the building, their faith is increasing. All because the enemy wants to trap people, but God takes what the enemy meant for evil and he turns it around for good. Amen? The traps of the enemy are nothing more than training tools in the hands of God to train us and to develop us. God's grace is greater than the traps of the enemy. They tried to trap this woman. They tried to trap Jesus. This woman was going to die so that the religious people could get one up on Jesus. What a horrible thing to do or to use. But Jesus didn't fall for the trap. Why? Because the grace of God is greater than the traps of the enemy. This is my last thought. The grace of God is also greater than the accuser of our life. The enemy has plenty to say, doesn't he? And he likes to put it up in flashing lights on a billboard. And it flashes in your mind every day right you're not good enough you failed you're not right if everyone knew who you were you wouldn't you wouldn't be welcome to the church come on now I hope I'm not the only one that looks at the flashing billboard every single day the enemy comes with accusations He accuses us of not being good enough or or accuses us saying God really doesn't love us. Or or the accusation is is that you weren't good enough to be a Christian and therefore God is forsaking you. That's why all these things are happening. He's the accuser. One day we're going to stand before God and every accusation is going to be dealt with. And the accuser is going to be dealt with. In the courtroom of heaven... The prosecuting attorney, the devil, he will have all his documentation set. He will have everything he can do. He will say, he will bring up every sin you've ever committed, and he will say, They're not allowed in. They looked at pornography. They're not allowed in. They were messing around with someone else's husband. They're not allowed in. They've been they slept around everywhere. They're not allowed in, they were doing drugs. Allowed in, they were getting their comfort at the bar stool. They're not allowed in, they never gave anything to the church, they never served you. They're not allowed in. And then, Jesus, when the defense attorney gets a chance to speak, he's gonna stand up and say, The accuser has brought up everything that's already been paid for, this has already been settled. And there's a thing in the law called double jeopardy. Oh, I like that law. It's already been dealt with and you cannot uh, try me for the same thing that's already been settled. And can I tell you that I, I, it's all settled with God. It's all settled. God took all your sins and threw them in the sea of His forgetfulness And he forgave you. And the accuser, that's all he's got. Listen to me. That's all he's got. He don't have power over you. So he has to accuse you. He has nothing he can do. He don't own you anymore. You're free in Christ. And so now he's got to bring up everything you used to do. He's got to remind you of how bad you are and remind you that God God hates the things you used to do. And maybe some of the things you've been struggling with right now in your very own life, the enemy is doing his best to bombard your mind, to accuse you. And the goal is to separate you from one beautiful truth, and that is that God still loves you. Amen? Amen. I wasn't angry there. If I was angry at anything, I'm angry at the devil. It's the old nursery rhyme. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible, it tells me so. I am living in the greater grace of God because my God loves me. Not because I'm good. Not because I'm perfect. My God just loves me. And I want to tell you something. I love him too. Come on, amen? I love him too. Hallelujah. 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 Would you stand with me? Melissa, would you come to the piano?